What's good? It's Swazi from Kiss Life and the latest episode is all about the money. So many special guests and so many money tips. Enjoy. Kiss Life. Supported by the Audio Content Fund. So let's be on it. Money is a conversation that I don't think is ever going to stop, is it really? Because lockdown has been tough for all of us over the last 12 months, a little bit more. So whether that's you, whether you're needing the money, whether you got the money, whether it's money management, this has been a whole conversation around, um, yeah, how financially literate you are as well. Um, And even for me, if you're listening thinking, Swaz, I have no idea when it comes to Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, you're talking a whole new language. (laughs) We're going to learn together tonight because some of our special guests are really giving the gems, really breaking it down for us. And it isn't just about money, but it's also about the freedom and where you spend it. Last Monday, saw the opening of shops and the slight easing of restrictions, which which included salons, gyms opening, as well as our everyday high street on the road to recovery. So we give thanks. And soon we're going to be talking to a man who will tell us how the opening of his gym has been taken on and how that's all been going. But right now, first up, Tabara from our very own Kiss Life team has hit the streets to find out how this weekend's good weather has teamed up the urge to spend again. So I made it to Selfridges. I navigated through the busy streets and I made it. I have bumped into three lovely ladies, Amy, Carmen and Georgia. I can see bags from JD to Bershka to Zara. So these ladies have definitely enjoyed their shopping trip today so Amy how did you find coming out after lockdown Um, I found it hard because it's getting used to new things like the restrictions social distancing and everything when you were indoors do you feel like you spent less money or more money were you online shopping or were you one of those ones that were waiting and itching for these shops to open Um, online shopping because I feel like I was compensating for the fact that I wasn't outside outdoors it was a coping mechanism like to deal with the fact that I'm still indoors. So Carmen, you have got a lovely brown bag, but it's not from Primark. This one is actually from Bershka. How was your trip and did you have to queue up? Um, I came in the morning, so I didn't actually have to queue up, so there was no queues. I enjoyed my trip because I could finally like touch the clothes, see it in person, you know, just get whatever I had to get on the day. I didn't have to wait for delivery and yeah, I enjoyed it. It's officially been one week since these shops have opened. Is this your first day out on the road or did you come beforehand, literally the day after, like so many Londoners did? Um, We came out on the first day to see how everything is, but I feel like everyone decided to come out today because they thought it was going to be really busy on the first day. So everyone are out today, but yeah, I'm enjoying seeing people, being out again, enjoying the sun, yeah. So now I'm speaking to lovely Georgia. She has got a JD bag. Georgia, that is a very brave move. Were you queuing up today? And if so, how long for? Um, I didn't have to queue up because I came early in the morning. I really enjoyed my shopping trip. Got to see some people, was out for a bit. Enjoyed my time. That is a smart move coming early. But can I ask, would you queue up looking around and seeing how many people are in these queues? Would you wait in the queues to get the goods that you've got today? I personally wouldn't because standing up is not for me and it's a bit it's a bit long yeah it's not really worth standing up for there we go guys this just proves that the early bird definitely catches the worm or in this case catches the shopping so I'm currently with Theo who owns a mobile barber shop he's been out on the streets and his hands are empty however he has bought something so Theo tell us what you've bought today I actually got myself an exclusive Wonka bar from Willy Wonka Charlie and the Chocolate Factory if you might know about that and you know, I used to cry to my mum for one of these chocolate bars. She told me they weren't real. And today I come onto Oxford Circus and they're selling them. $7.99 though for the bar, because it's exclusive, but it's going to keep me happy tonight, man. So I'm happy, man. Yeah. My question is, did you queue up for the bar? Nah, 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 nah. Security, we don't queue up, so nah, it's cool. Nah, but... <laughs> Would you have queued up for the bar? You know what? I probably would have. It sounds sad, but... We're going back years and this, this, I still get goose pimples now, bro, goosebumps now. So yeah, 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 definitely, definitely I would have queued up for it. So Theo is actually a security guard. So I've got a couple of questions. How have you found the streets over this past week? Have you seen a decrease in people between when the shops first opened and now? Or has it been a steady flow of busyness? Uh, to be fair, you know what? I think it's been, there's been more people out on this, on this reopening or post lockdown because, um, the sports shops in particular have had queues since Monday, queues going around their buildings because they've got kids buying and buying trainers that aren't about anymore and reselling them. So Nighttown have got stocks out there, JD, Foot Locker, so that's been rammed and 
everywhere I turn, there's Selfridges bags, Louis, everything. So every type of person with every type of budget is out and it's crazy. And there's a lot of kids out as well, mingling, you know what I mean? So yeah, it has been busy this time round. And a lot of thefts as well. We've been catching a lot of shoplifters, so that always shows you how busy it is as well. Yeah. So my last question for you is today, after a week of things opening on a scale of one to 10, how busy was Oxford Street? I'd say eight and a half, eight and a half. I'd probably go nine, but I didn't budge into that, that many people today, but it is rammed, so I'll give it an eight, strong eight. Kiss Life, supported by the Audio Content Fund. Shouts to Tabara, man. One of our guys holding down the team right here on Kiss Life. Talking to the shoppers today, thanks to all our special guests. Um, you're locked in with me, Swazi. This is Kiss Life, a brand new show taking place right here on Kiss. And although it sounds busy where Tabara has been, it's also been a busy week for lots of people, with the world slightly opening up, especially for business owners. Joining me now from Elite Evolution, a black-owned gymnast, a black-owned gym located in the heart of Hackneywick in London, director and personal trainer on the line, Afalavi. Hello. How are you? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. You sound calm given a busy week. Tell me about it. It's been really <laughs> busy. It's been really, really busy. Oh, man. Talk to me about Elite Evolution. Talk to me about you guys. And what's it been like opening back up this week as well? So Elite Evolution was uh, created about 12 years ago. Uh, my brothers, Joshua and Emeka, um, and we just decided to come together and just try and support our community. You know, we've always been big on health and fitness and well-being. So we just thought, let's just put all our expertise and our skills together and just set up our own gym. Yeah. And 12 years later, we're still here. Amazing. So amazing. And what's the response been like? Because we know how much mental health is wrapped in um, with gym life, right? And just being somewhere where you can work out and just kind of lose focus and lose track with whatever the week is or work or whatever stresses may be on your head. Um, so what's the response been like as you've opened up? You've seen new faces. You've seen some of your regular members come back. What's that been like? It's been amazing. You know, um, a building is, is nothing without people. Mm. So, you know, being able to open up the doors again on Monday, uh, as early as like 12 a.m. because we're a 24-hour gym. Uh, so we had the doors open from 12 a.m., people flooding in, people are booking in, new clients, people signing up for membership and personal training. And it's just been such a buzzing atmosphere and it's just been just been great. Yeah. I love that. It's really transcended off of socials. You know what I mean? I believe you when I say there are, there are people buzzing to be back in your space. Um, but as a business owner, talk to me about that because we know the shopper experience somewhat. But what's it been like as a young black business owner? What were your fears over lockdown? Um, and what were your worries as, as, yeah, as a business owner? We, when uh, the announcement was uh, launched, we were thinking, what, what's going to happen? What are we going to do? Yeah. Um, but, you know, idle hands make no progress. So we you know, thought, let's think outside the box. What can we still do to kind of support our clients, support our community? Um, so we hired out our equipment. You know, our equipment was just sitting in the gym. So we thought, let's hire it out. As you know, if you wanted to buy a bench, it would cost like 300, 400 pounds, something ridiculous like that. So we thought, how, why not just hire our equipment out to our community, hire it out to our clients? Um, and so we did that. Um, and we were supporting schools as well. So we go into schools and we support staff, we support key worker students as well, giving them health and fitness um, during the, the, the COVID lockdown as well. So it's been, it's been positive, um, mm. to say the least. That's amazing. And what's been your biggest your biggest business challenge, would you say? Biggest big oh, that's a that's a that's a big one. <laughs> um oh, well currently we're trying to expand our space. Yeah. Um, trying to go into a bigger place is very difficult. Uh, prices are really high, especially in Hackney. Um and so we just kinda want the community to kind of rally around us to kind of support us. Um, and just and just believe in what we're trying to do for the community. So trying to stay in Hackney um, is, is proving difficult, but we're just going to keep pushing forward with it. Yeah, and the gym market must be really, really competitive at the moment. So what kind of puts you guys a cut above the rest? Well, we do a lot of um, stuff in the community. So again, we work with a lot of charities. Uh, what we do is we go and support uh, the community. We go into schools, we go into workplaces to just offer health and well-being. Um, and one of the key things is like we're a 24-hour gym, so I think we're one of three in Hackney. Yeah. So, you know, we are supporting everybody and anybody who can make it to us. 
Amazing. Thank you so much. I'm definitely going to be checking you guys out, man. We want to shout you, Elite Evolution. But uh, yeah, let us know. Socials, where can we find you? So um, www.eliteevolution.com. Um, and then you can find us on Instagram as well, which is Elite Evolution. Um, and yeah, that's where you can find us. Please come on down. We're inviting you down for a little workout. <laughs> that's amazing. Your... Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. We'll catch up soon. No worries. Have a good one. You too. Amazing. Such a big organisation there. Elite Evolution, a black-owned gym located in the heart of Hackneywick in London. So if you're East, or even if you're not East, come through, man, because the community programmes, everything that is happening down there. If you're young and you want somewhere to work out and find good people, Elite Evolution is your spot to be. You locked in with me, Swazi, just gone quarter past nine. Quarter past nine on your Sunday evening. All about Kiss Life. Tonight's episode is all about money. And I want to be talking about the Black Pound Day. So come on now. We've got Swiss on the line. Good evening. Good evening. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, man. How's it going? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. I'm just trying to get my myself together. All is well. All is well. A, a great evening. Oh, we give thanks. We give thanks. Well, you're on Kiss Life and it's a pleasure to have you, you know. In the in the chat, we were just talking about history in the making right here. So to have you on the show is so big. I need to talk to you about Black Pound Day. Give me the goss. Give me the tea. Why did you set it up and why the focus on black businesses in particular? Okay, so I set up Black Pound Day because when I saw um, the murder of George Floyd and the subsequent marches and anti-racism protests that were happening in, in the centre of our city, um... I realized that, you know, emotions come and go, marches come and go, but, um, you know, emotions are very fleeting. They come and go, as I said. So mm. we needed a more sustainable and secure way of supporting the black community. So I thought to myself, why don't I, you know, direct the people to take their fists out the air, put it in their pockets and support black businesses, because that would be a better way to support our community. So yeah. that's where the idea of Black Pound Day came from. It was an idea that I had, I had 12 years previous before, but it was just like a really good time to bring it into fruition now because I had the resources and the know-how to do it now rather than back then. Yeah, yeah. And just off the record, man, just want to properly say thank you that you really were someone who directed a lot of what was going on at the time because it was, it, when we cast our minds back to the murder of George Floyd, the Black Lives Matter movement, all of it was happening at the same time. And for you to direct us for where we can spend our coin, like we give thanks, do you know what I mean? So yeah, definitely. Talk to us a little about... community very much needed. Sorry to cut you on. No, no, no. I just wanted to talk to you about the inequalities that black businesses face because when we talk about spending black um what are some of those barriers and why is it important to put the focus there but just just a little bit about behind the scenes and the work that you have done what are those inequalities that face black businesses thank you so this is why it's important to support black businesses um we are being strategically and uh, made made invisible and intentionally cut off from opportunities and it's not because we don't have the experience skills and know-how but because of racial biasness and systemic oppression for example White entrepreneurs have a 19% success rate above their black counterparts in getting loans. From, from a job seeker's point of view, if you're identifiably black or Asian mm. um, and you send in your CV, you're more than likely to, to have to send it in twice as much mm. than your white counterparts because you'll get overlooked because of direct discrimination. Black women are some of the least funded, are amongst the least funded group when it comes to accessing business loans in our society. And those that have graduated from the most prestigious universities that are black are more likely to be unemployed for up to two and a half years before they secure a job. Um, from, a, from a business and entrepreneurship point of view, those who are labeled minority businesses, blacks, Asians, and such forth, put 25 to 30 billion into the UK economy, but yet receive 1% of venture capitalist funding. Mm. The second reason why it's important to support that businesses is because we helped to rebuild, rebuild this country after World War II, when the infrastructure of the country was on its knees. And I just want to, uh, make reference to the assistant chef that was on the Windrush boat, the Windrush Empire boat that bring us over that first trip. He basically said, how would, we have got, how would we have got going as a country after the war in terms of factories, tubes, railways, nursing? He was like, look, you can't make up all those thousands dead just like that, can you? Mm. So uh, he said, uh, so someone had to do it. And his way of thinking was, thank God that those black people came from the Caribbean to help build up this country. So what Black Pound Day is asking is for a return in support. You know, we helped yeah. to rebuild this country and Black Pound Day is a way for 
you know, the, the, the communities in this country to help to build up our community now because we have suffered from systemic oppression since we came here in the 1940s. And so, you know, it would be nice to get some help to rebuild our community and to help us to spread that black, that black pound to rebuild the UK economy as well. Because if, if you help the black community, then exactly. all communities are getting helped really and truly, you know? Exactly. So, yeah. Hand in hand, you know what I mean? Absolutely. And when you're, when you're thinking about the world opening up, I mean, we've seen the queues. We've seen the queues to Primark winding and waving around London, right? All, all over the UK. Um, so mm. what are your thoughts and your feelings as the world is opening up, as the restrictions are easing? Um, do you feel like the social responsibility to spend black within black businesses that's going to continue? Are you positive about that? I am. I feel like the world in the black community, our world has been changed forever with the advent of the death of George Floyd and uh, the, um, you know, the, the, system, the systemic oppression being a vocal and very forefront conversation in our community mm-hmm. and other surrounding communities, especially when it comes to the black pound and what we can do to you know, bring our community to a better place. I think that conversation has, has been, become more strong in our minds. And going forward, we're going to want to spend black because we know that it's going to have a direct change. And we've seen it with the advent of Black Pound Day. This is the biggest economic movement to happen for black people ever in the UK. You know? So it's um, important for us to take advantage. We need to uh, keep those conversations going in our families, in our communities, and keep that spending structure every month, every Saturday, so that these businesses can get highlighted and brought to the forefront, and then it will become eventually normalized to spend black, whether it be from a white race point of view, a black race or Asian race point of view. We can all muck in and get this job done. Yeah, this is UK-wide. I know you're a huge fan of Papamzi. Shouts goes out to Eat of Eden. So many businesses thriving right now. But just want to wrap up and ask you, is this a UK-wide initiative? Oh, yes, it most certainly is. Um, you know, we've had people from Wolverhampton, Cardiff and Wales, um, Birmingham, you know, we do the markets in Birmingham. We've done about five in Birmingham at the Legacy Centre of Excellence. It's a mm-hmm. black-owned building, um, formerly known as, as the Drum, Manchester. I've had, um, you know, we've got up to 40,000 followers across our social media. So we engage every day with people from all over the country, as far as, far as Scotland, speaking about Black Pound Day, singing its praises and how much it has helped businesses and uh, restructuring of mindset when it comes to consumerism. So I'm just so proud of the movement. I'm, I'm happy to be interviewed right now. You know, I'm, I'm hearing that this is the first, um, why is it the first for Kiss doing this? The first talk show that Kiss has done for a yeah. very long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the first excellent. speech radio that's show. Excellent. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so congratulations on that for yourself. And yeah, it's a new day. Uh, don't gas me, man. Don't gas me. We're not even near 10 o'clock. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. You know we need to get you in the studio. Soon come. You know. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And please do visit the website www.blackpoundday.uk we are launching our marketplace so you can spend black at the click of a button we're trying to create um, the first well not the first but like a black Amazon basically so if you want to spend black you can just go to um, blackpoundday.uk click click a button and buy something of your liking and of your choice so that will be launching very soon in the next couple of weeks nice one nice one Swiss thank you so much for your time tonight have a good one wish you all the best take care take care See you soon, man. Founder of Black Pound Day, Swiss talking to us about overcoming the inequalities, facing black businesses today, and the importance of investing into our community. Someone else I'm mad excited to be talking to next is a voice leading the convo in the UK when it comes to finance. A pretty gassy moment right here on KISS. Joining me now from money-saving expert, here's Martin Lewis. KISS Live. Supported by the Audio Content Fund. You're locked into KISS Life, and tonight we're all talking about money. So who better to have on the show than the founder of MoneySavingExpert.com? I'm very excited about this. Joining me now is Martin Lewis. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. It's not usual for me to be somewhere like Kiss. I'm quite excited. So let's hope it goes well. I'm going to be a lot richer by the time we've ended this conversation. So we might have to get you back again. Don't worry. I want to know first, before we get into some questions, just a little bit about your time in the lockdown with people being busy, looking at, yeah, just reflecting on the best deals. Have you been busy in this time? Yeah, it's probably been one of the hardest periods of my life when this first started. You know, I'm very lucky that I've built myself into a position through the website and through my TV shows. And one of the great difficulties when this this all started, especially in those first few months, was there just weren't answers. And, And if I'm straight and honest with you, 
It's more than once I found myself sitting in tears at my computer in desperate frustration when people who were in awful situations like, you know, single mothers whose employers said, we're not furloughing you, you have to come to work, but whose kids were, were being not at school and saying, well, I can't go to work because no one can look after my kids. But if I don't go to work, I'm going to lose my job. What do I do? And I didn't have an answer to that. So it, it, it was a very, very difficult period. I haven't worked this hard for, for about 10 years. I mean, I have a huge email bag that comes in and it, it was pretty desperate. I, I'd set up a coronavirus poverty fund as a, as a charity on the side as I was doing it. And I got my mental health charity that I do as well. Clearly money and mental health is a big issue at the moment. So yeah, it's been one of the most hardcore periods of my life, but I think we've managed to get a few, the government to change a few policies and to get the information out to help people. So it's probably been quite rewarding as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's been real tough, really, really tough for all of us yeah. for different reasons. Um, and so we've been talking to our listeners at KISS and they've got some questions for you all about money. And because you're the guy to ask, you're the one that cuts through all the nonsense, all the noise when it comes to finance. So I've got five questions and I want to kick it up with this. Hi, my name is Brianna and I'm from Birmingham. My question is about mortgages. What is the difference between being pre-qualified and pre-approved? Okay, well, being pre-qualified is a sort of quick, soft system that will give you a rough estimate of how much money you may be likely to borrow. So it's not hardcore. Let's, let's call pre-qualification a guesstimate of the amount of borrowing. It won't tell you about interest rates and, rates and fees and the like. It's done quickly. It's not formal. It doesn't actually, it isn't a promise in any way. Mortgage pre-approval is a document you get from your lender that will tell you how much you can actually have to borrow a house, the interest rate you'd be charged for, and sort of, it, it's almost, it's a formal document that you will have to go through an assessment, a credit score, an affordability test to get that you can then show to someone you're buying that says, we've been pre-approved for a mortgage. Now, it isn't a cast iron guarantee, but the pre-qualification is a bit like, what do you think I can get? Uh, oh yeah, we'll let you have 200,000 pounds. Oh, thanks. The mortgage pre-approval is, what do you think I can get? Sit down, we wanna check your credit score. We're gonna ask you a lot of questions. We're gonna do an assessment. We're gonna run you through the computer and then we're gonna give you a form and then that'll tell you exactly how much you can have and the interest rate and you can use that in your negotiations when you're actually trying to buy somewhere. And as I know we're talking to, to younger people here, everyone's younger than me these days. I used to be the young whiz kid. It's been a long time since that happened. <laughs> Just one quick tip. All of you, even if the, if the concept of buying a house is like, yeah, right, a long, long time away, um, there's a thing called a lifetime ISA. And in the lifetime ISA, the state adds a 25% bonus to all you save towards a first time house. Now, look, you should go and do some reading on this. There are some limits. The house has to be worth under £450,000. You can't use the bonus in the first year. But the point is, this is absolutely the best way for you to save for a house, unless you've already opened a help to buy ISA, which would, you can't do anymore. But it's the best way for you to save to open a house. But you heard what I said, you can't get the bonus unless you've had one opened for a year. And you could put up to four grand a year in it. I should say, if you take the money out and you're not going to use it to buy a house, there's a 6% 6 penalty, but on a quid, that's 6p. So I think it's worth the 6p so that you've got that facility ready when you need it. Oh, brilliant advice. And can I just ask as well, on top of mortgages, just on top of this conversation, what is stamp duty? What is it? Why does it exist? Because I've got friends who are like, oh, I've got enough of the deposit, but then I've got to fork out however many thousands of pounds for the stamp duty. So yeah, could you run us through that? Yeah, stamp duty is, should just be called property buying tax. That's all it is. It is a tax when you buy a property that is a percent of the amount of the property that you're buying that you have to pay to the state when you buy a property. It's called stamp duty. That's because in the old days, and actually when you buy shares, there's a thing called stamp duty too. Literally, it was the cost of getting the person to on your piece of paper that you had paid and you were ready to buy. But forget it. Think of stamp duty in your head. Listen to my voice. Don't listen to anything else. Stamp duty in my head. Next time you hear it, just hear the words property tax. And currently, you can still buy it and, you know, you can buy quite a big house up to £500,000 with no property tax stamp duty on. But and that was done for the pandemic. That figure is going to get lower. So you're going to start paying tax on smaller properties quite soon. So it's a tax. You can add it on top of your mortgage. You can pay it straight. Um, but it's just a tax. Amazing. Question number two. Hi, I'm Washa from Carlisle. And my question is, how do you build up? a good credit score from scratch? So this is a really important question. Let's just 
myth bust this for a second. The first thing is no one actually has a credit score. Yeah, you can go into Experian or TransUnion or Equifax and they'll give you a credit score. They're the credit reference agencies. But that's their rough guess of what a typical person would score. The true thing to understand is every lender will, will score you differently based on its own wish list of whether you're going to make it a profit or not. So one can accept you, others can reject you. You can have a perfect credit score because your credit score doesn't include how much you earn, which is the biggest factor. Perfect credit score, you can still be rejected. So don't get too hung up on my credit score's gone up or down 10 points. But if we can play a little game here, I'm going to play a game now. So let's imagine you and I, we're in a pub. We'll pretend that they're open and we're inside to keep warm. You can't do it at the moment. It would be breaking COVID rules, but we'll just pretend. You and I are in a pub. I come up to you. And I go, oh, you'd never guess what I've done. You say, what? Never... I've forgotten my wallet again. Oh, can you lend me 20 quid and I'll give it you back tomorrow and I'll give you a pint on top, which is the interest. Now, let me right. just give you a couple of facts. First of all, now let's imagine I've done that 20 times before with you. And every time I've always, the next day, given you the 20 quid back and bought you the pint. Would you lend me the 20 pounds? Yeah, you're a great friend. I'm a great friend and I'm honest and you can trust me. Now let's imagine scenario number two. Oh, could you lend me the 20 quid? I've done this 20 times before. I always forget to give you the money back. You have to chase me. Sometimes I don't give you the money back. In fact, I've only given you the money back seven times. Would you lend me the 20 quid? Don't be a good Samaritan here. And on, you know, I want a commercial decision from you. No, you're not a good friend. You're not a good friend here. No, I'm not. And third question. So I walk in there, you see me, you think, now there is a very nice looking chap. Look at him, he's suave, he's sophisticated, but you've never met me before. I've lost my wallet, I asked you for 20 quid. I seem very, very, very nice. I'm sure I probably am, but you've never met me before. And I've never borrowed money from you before. Would you lend me the 20 quid? Probably not. No. And that's how credit scoring works. In the first scenario, I have a good credit history. I've borrowed a lot in the past and you can see that I always repay it. So I've got a good credit score. In the second scenario, I've got to have a lot of borrowing history, but I've struggled to repay it on occasion. So I have a bad credit score when a lender assesses me. In the third scenario, while I probably will repay it, you have no data on me. And because you don't have any data on me, you're not gonna lend me any money. So the problem for young people is that most of them are in scenario number three. And that's a bit of a catch-22 situation. How do we get them to start to lend to you when you don't have any data? So yeah. what you generally start with, you might have an overdraft at your bank. Um, that might help. But the, the general start point tip is go and get... Now, I have to be very careful here. There's a big caveat, a big warning coming at the end. Go and get yourself a credit card. Get that credit card and then spend, say, 50 quid a month on it, and then make sure, this is a bit of my catchphrase, for those who don't know me, I always say this very loud, your sound engineers aren't gonna like it because I'm about to overmodulate. Make sure you pay it off in full at the end of every month. And the reason you do that is then you're not charged any interest. Now, I have to be very careful. Credit cards can be incredibly dangerous. They are not a good way to borrow willy-nilly. They can be a good way for planned one-off purchases, but be really careful on them. If you're using buy now, pay later, by the way, that's not yet regulated. I campaign for it to be regulated. It is being regulated, but that won't build you a credit file. A credit card will. So 50 quid each month paid off in full, so there's no interest. Just do normal spending on it. Don't use it as an excuse to buy anything else. And how will you get a credit card? You're going to have to get a crappy high-interest credit card right so it's going to cost you 50 odd percent if you didn't pay it off in full but you're going to pay it off in full you're going to do that for a year and now when I go into the pub and you've met me which is the analogy we're using now you can see that for the last 12 months I've borrowed from you and I've paid back every time so not only do I you have data on me you've got good data on me but if you're doing this don't miss so that would be the start way to get yourself a credit card and you can use an eligibility calculator on what's called a credit builder or rebuilder card to find your first credit card but please no one see this as me telling you to borrow you borrow when you don't repay in full Borrowing on a credit card just willy-nilly is, is a recipe for, for disaster. I mentioned before I'm the chair and founder of the Money and Mental Health Policy Institute. 
you know, you are the mental health and debt go together because if you've got bad debt, mm. it can destroy your life. So I'm not telling you to borrow. I'm telling you to technically get a credit card to pay it off in full each month to build a credit score that might help you get a mortgage or a one off loan later on that you really need. Lower interest rates or lower APRs are always better when you're borrowing. Borrow as quickly as possible if you need to borrow and only do it if you need it. Borrowing is not something to be taken lightly. I know I sound like a parent. I am. I've got an eight-year-old daughter. She's not borrowing yet. But it's actually so crucial. I've seen so many people whose lives are destroyed. Just a quick plug, by the way. I, I campaigned for financial education in schools. The government got it on the curriculum, then did absolutely nothing about it. And so ridiculously, I funded an organization called Young Money to provide a financial education textbook for 15 to 16 year olds. You can down that for free. It's 100 pages long. If you're that age or a bit older, it's well worth a, a, a read. It was also sent to every school's and also a money saving expert. If you're a little bit older, we've got the free academy with the Open University where you can go for free and take six two hour courses, sort of more academic type courses to improve your understanding of money. It's well worth doing. Thank you. Question number three. Hello, this is Nadine from London. Lockdown has been hard for me to save any money, so I'm trying to look for accounts with the highest interest. Can you advise on any, please? All right. So look, interest is the price of money. That's something really important to understand. So generally, if you think about it like this, if I lend you money, if I, if I give you £100, you have to pay me for the loan. If it's 1%, you pay me a pound per year. If it's 10%, you pay me £10 for you, per year. Now, in effect, when I am saving with a lender, when I'm saving with a bank, rather, then I am the lender. I'm lending them my, that, my money so they can lend it out to other people. So I want to be paid. And that savings interest is the cost they have to give me, the amount they have to pay me to utilise my money. Now, if you think about it, when I, when I give it to them at the moment, even the top account's only paying 0.4%. Uh, so what's that? 40 people, 100 quid per year, right? <laughs> Whereas they, when they lend it out on a credit card, they're charging 20 quid. So I lend it to them, they give me 40p, they lend it back to me, they charge me 20 quid. It's a good job being a bank, isn't it? So that's how it works. <laughs> so when you put your money in a savings account, you want the most interest possible. I'm going to assume everyone's over 16, so we're not talking children's accounts at the moment. Um, the, the top easy access savings account right now is with Paragon Bank. Look, forget the high street. You, you know, if, if you, you, I'm sure you're online savvy. All UK regulated, and that's crucial, so make sure you're going to a trusted source for your information. Ignore the adverts at the top of Google. They are not trusted sources. You know, I don't care whether it's a newspaper website or my website or, or a government-backed website, but it needs to be a proper source website. All UK regulated accounts have what's called the Financial Service Compensation Scheme Protection up to 85 grand per person, which means if it goes bust, you get your money and your interest back guaranteed, and that's underwritten by the government. So you don't need to go to a high street bank for safety. As long as it's UK regulated, they all have the same protection. Paragon Bank right. pays 0.41%. That's easy access, so you can take your money out whenever you want. If you want to lock it in for a year when you can't access it, you can get a higher rate and it's guaranteed. So Paragon, the rate can go up and down. Zopa's top at 0.61. There is an account called CHIP. Now, CHIP's a bit more complicated uh, and you need to do some reading on this. But if you go through the right routes with links online, it can pay you 1.25% with a £10 bonus cashback. It's not a traditional bank. It's actually an auto-saving app that helps you decide how you're going to save yourself. But if you, if you want that information, it's worth noting, you know, this changes every day. So this, I, 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 we're, we're doing this interview on a Friday. You're playing it out on Sunday. I hope it's not busting the secret to tell people that. So... On Sunday, I can't guarantee Paragon will still be the top. You need to go and check on the day that you're opening the account what the top rate is. As I say, go to a trusted website that has the best buys on savings and use the rates there and do a bit more reading. Amazing. Thank you. Number four. I'm Danielle from West London and I want to ask, realistically, what is a good ratio for saving and spending each month? It's a very good question. The first thing to understand is it depends, it, it differs for everyone. If you are paying rent or paying a mortgage, you've got children, um, you're going to have a very small, if, if, if nothing, savings ratio. 
if you're living at home with parents, you don't have any bills to pay, you've got a good job that's got your money coming in and you've got absolutely no expenses, you should be saving a shed load. We need to understand that on average in the UK, you're going to live to around the age of 85. And you're going to work for around 45 of those 85 years. And the, those 45 years have to pay for the other 40. So, of course, in the first 20 odd years, your parents are paying for you. But equally, we have what's called a cross-generational transfer where you'll have to pay for your children in the same way. So it, it roughly evens out. And then the last 25 or the last 20 odd years, you're going to be retired. You're hopefully living off a pension. So there's two types of saving, the savings immediately and the saving for the long term that you need to do. And when you've got disposable income that's spare, you want to save it for the times that you don't. Um, you know, if you become a parent later on, if you've got a mortgage to pay, all of that's expensive and you're going to struggle to save. So the savings ratio can be tough. Now, one of the things I would look at, I mentioned before Chip and Autosave app, there's also Plum and Monzo does it. What they do is they use an algorithm to dictate they look at how much money you've got and they automatically move some of that money into a savings account when you're not spending it. So they judge for you what your savings, savings amount should be based on how much money you're actually spending. But the honest answer is as much as you can. The more you can save when you don't need it, the better. Do a proper budget. Make sure your bills are being paid. Make sure you remember that things like Christmas, if you spend £600 a year on it, that's 50 quid a month you should be, you know, you want to put aside because you can't pay for it out of December. If your summer holiday is 600 quid, that's 50 quid a month you need to put aside. So put that money aside, put money aside each month to pay your bills, and then you can see what you've actually got. And if you've got spare money, then save it. And a final quick note, anyone who's an employee, if you work for someone, as long as you're 22 or over and earning over around 10 grand, you will automatically be saving into a pension and your company will have to contribute. Now, while that may seem like you're losing income because you're having to pay into that pension, in the long run, you're actually getting a pay rise because your company has to not quite match, but almost match what you put in and there's tax relief on top too. So don't opt out of that pension unless you absolutely have to. It'll just be saved automatically for you and it'll help you in later life. But what they don't tell you is if you're under 22 and over 16, so 16 to 21, as long as you're earning over £6,000 a year, the scheme is called auto-enrolment, but you are allowed to manually enrol, which means you could choose, if you're a 20-year-old on a good salary, you can choose to opt in to, your, to the auto-enrolment scheme and they still have to do the matching contributions things. In other words, give you more money. And absolutely, if I were a 20-year-old who was working, living at home, so I had very little expenses, I would absolutely be making my company give me a pay rise by saying I want to opt in to the scheme that most people are automatically put into once they're 22. That was a big answer to a short question. <laughs> no, but we need it. We need the gems. And I was going to ask you about pensions, actually, because what would you say to someone who isn't an employee? What if you are self-employed? How do you go about pensions that way? Pensions is a complicated subject. and It depends how savvy you are. The, the, the obvious easy point to start is to put money in a stakeholder pension, which has a sort of limited, limited choice. It's relatively easy to operate and um, the charges are regulated, so you can't be charged too much. It, it, it's very complex. I'm oversimplifying, but a stakeholder holder pension is what it's called. If you're more sophisticated and you want to choose what you want to invest in, then you could look at something like a self-invested personal pension, which is basically like you choose what stock shares or funds you put your pension into. You're totally in charge of it. You've got loads of choice. And for those who are interested in finance, that is a good route. But only if you're going to do your research, put the time in it and really prepare to do your reading. Otherwise, I'd probably be looking just at something simple like a stakeholder pension. And of course, if you've got lots of money, go to an independent financial advisor uh, who you will pay to help and to advise you. But, you know, they're looking for they're looking for more affluent clientele. You, you want to be on 40, 50, 60, 70 grand a year plus um, before before they're really going to be looking at looking at you. And it's going to be worth the fee. Which takes me nicely to my last question, then. Hi, I'm Carl from Wales. And I want to ask, with the increase in e-commerce and digital assets in the last few years, and in particular, with cryptocurrencies becoming so popular in the mainstream recently, do you consider these to be good investment opportunities in the long term? So one of the things I don't talk about is investing. It's not my bag. I avoid it. But it is worth talking about the, the Bitcoin issue at the moment. Now, there are a couple of things that need to be said on the start of this. First of all, you need to be incredibly careful 
when you see adverts online or you get emails about Bitcoin. Many of those adverts and many of those emails will have my face on them. I sued Facebook over these fake and scam adverts a few years ago, and I settled for it to give uh, £3 million to set up a citizen's advice scam action and for it to launch. The, the UK has a, a scam report button on the back of it. That was part of my out-of-court settlement with it for me not to continue my lawsuit, which is unique to the UK, so you can report scam ads on Facebook. But they're everywhere else too, these scam adverts, not just with me and with other people in as well, depending on, on who you're likely to be targeted and these emails. So most of those Bitcoin trader, those Bitcoin type things which have famous faces or others in them, those ads are scams. They are nothing to do with Bitcoin. They are scams. Scams is theft. People are trying to steal your money. It destroys lives. Now, Bitcoin itself is a cryptocurrency. So the, the design of Bitcoin was that it was originally meant to be a sort of an alternative non-fiat, they call it, uh, non-governmental currency that's based on technology. One of the interesting issues that's happened, and I'm no great Bitcoin export, so we'll just keep the, this loose, it's not my, my great subject, is Bitcoin's price has gone up so much in recent years that it's become speculative. People aren't spending Bitcoin because they keep hold of it in the hopes that it will keep going up in value. So the people who have Bitcoin often have it as a store of value, as an investment for it to go up. Rather than it's actually being used out there, they're thinking I'm going to hold on to it because the price should go up. But there is no guarantee that the price will continue to go up. You may hope it will do. You may believe it will do. The most important thing is, first of all, never invest in anything that you don't understand. If you don't understand Bitcoin, know what it truly is. And this is not understanding. This is, this is looking from a plane and trying to discuss, you know, how people are doing in their houses. I'm only looking from a plane. I'm so far away from going into the nitty gritty. I couldn't tell. I'm not telling you more than that. But if you want to go and do some proper reading, proper understanding and make a decision yourself to put money in it, you know, that's an individual's decision. But I would caution you, do not put money in any speculative investment that you cannot afford to lose. If you, can't, if you can't afford to lose it, you should not be speculating with it. If you can afford to use it and put, lose it and put your hand on your heart to say, yeah, you know, I'm going to put this 500 quid in, I'm going to cross my fingers, and this is the worst comes to the worst, I accept it's a bit of a gamble, then so be it, cross your fingers and you may do very well. But that's investing. Investing is where you put your money in something in the hopes it will go quickly and give you rewards like dividends. But understanding that there is a risk that you will lose all your money. Speculation is where there's no actual way of making money from it other than the price going up or down. And you're speculating, buying it now in the hope that in future someone will be willing to pay even more than you are than, than, than you paid for it when you bought it. And nobody knows what will happen with that. So understand the risks, and it's not necessarily a bad thing to do, but you have to understand the risks. And we may be sitting here in three years, and everybody who put money in it is going, sweet, I have made three times what I put in. And we may be sitting in here and going, God, Bitcoin, how on earth did I fall for that? It's dropped in price. I lost virtually everything. Nobody actually knows. And some people get angry with that and say, yeah, we do know the price is going to go up. There's been a fundamental change in the dynamic. Well, we've heard that before in different balloons and bubbles, you know, whether it was tulips in Amsterdam in the 1700s or canals in England in around the same time. I may have got my date slightly wrong on my historic ones or the, the dot com crash that happened in 2001. I don't know if Bitcoin is a bubble or a balloon. It may well be. It may not be, but it certainly could be. So you need to understand the risks. Yeah, you really, really need to do the, the research and understand all of the risks involved. Um, Martin, there's so much there, isn't there, about money and being um, financially literate. And so to just pull back and really ask a question from me, just, just wanted to take the opportunity whilst you're here. Um, you know, where do you begin? Because it can feel overwhelming. It can feel like you don't know enough. And it can feel like, where do I even go? Who is the right voice to trust? Um, and so for you to just maybe, I don't know, give you a one top tip, if you could tell a young person, this is where you begin. Yeah, if you're, if you're feeling overwhelmed, where should a young person start when it comes to money? Well, I would go and download the Young Money textbook. It's a really good textbook. I was involved in, in sort of feeding on the editorial. It's totally for free. It's about 160 pages. I know it's a textbook, but it's, you know, it's easy to understand and you can go through subjects. As again, if you're a little older than the, the money saving expert Academy, which is joint with the Open University, which is a free course on money. And look, 
Clearly, because it's what I do, I would say money-saving expert. You know, you've got me on. We're, we're very trusted. That's what we try and do. We write guides that people can understand, take you through things step by step. And, and I believe, you know, there's a reason we've got, you know, the whatever it is, 14 million users a month. Um, the, it, it's because many people rate it. So uh, you might want to... Mm. You, you, you might have parents who use it or friends who use it anyway. And I would suggest if you really want to start working it out, I do an email each week with my team where we tell you everything you need to know that week. Everything on a Money Saving Expert is always free. We don't have any banner adverts. We don't work like that. Everything is journalistically written based on what's best for you. Um, and so uh, that what's in that email is, is good content. They'll tell you what you need to know. So you've just heard from the money-saving expert himself. A whole Martin Lewis right here on Kiss and Swiss in the same show, man. So much good advice when it comes to money. And that was his thoughts around digital money. But yeah, I guess I'm still a little bit lost when it comes to Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. So with me now is a financial planning manager, Richard Harwood, to break it down even further. Richard, it's so good to have you join us tonight. Let me kick off with the most obvious question, I guess. So what is e-commerce? For me, it's newfangled things. But in reality, uh, most money is backed by a government, issued by a government, and therefore someone secures that. And, of course, money moves around and it gets invested and banks bank. And all of that has costs to it and paper to it and things that were fine in the 50s and the 60s and, and, and in the 90s. But nowadays, people don't like that. So e-commerce is is turning all that into into data basically and moving it around it cuts out the need for people it cuts out the need for banks the problem with that comes in my view that that it cuts out the need for governments to back money so mm. when push comes to shove if you've got a pound the government the governor of the bank of england says it's worth a pound if you've got e-commerce if you've got money that's created on a computer if push comes to shove there's no one saying I'm going to give you a thousand pounds for that Bitcoin because it's only if everyone else will give you a thousand pounds for it. And that's it. It's, it's efficient. It's, it's very, very secure in terms of the way it works, but it is only real. If everyone thinks it's real, there is no, no one behind it standing there saying this exists. It's <laughs> sometimes I liken it to the emperor's new clothes. Mm. If you believe the emperor's wearing clothes, is wearing clothes. If you go, crikey, he's naked, then... <laughs> he's also naked. He's also naked. And therefore, Bitcoin, if everyone thinks it's valuable, it's very, very valuable and people can really make money. But if they all said, for God's sake, it's just something in a computer, it could be worthless. That's mm. a summary, but I hope that probably explains the principles. It does. It does. And it sounds like my monopoly money is more real <laughs> than Bitcoin and cryptocurrency at the moment. It is, but if someone will pay for that, then it has a value. It's just, it, it's in our side of things, it makes it very volatile. Something small happens and it can suddenly double in value or half in value. Mm. And the British public, well, for all people, we love to see someone's success and follow that. So someone buys something, invests and it goes up and we all go, I'll have some of that. But of course, all these things get to the top somewhere. Normally when everyone's going, I'll have some of that. And that's the point that you think, I'll sell mine to someone else. So how do we know now that we're not just being sceptical of what's to come if we're too traditional today? The, the problem is, it is very easy to fake things now. The mm. internet is a wonderful tool. And it's wonderful for honest people. It's wonderful for crooks. And it's wonderful for idiots as well. And so not everything that doesn't work is someone trying to rip someone off. A lot of it is someone having a go and there's someone better at it. Right. Um, and the, the more we the more we become obsessed about reducing costs and mixing the market up, the more actually we we deliberately remove ourselves from the authorities. And many people are skeptical authorities and often rightly so. But the only people who can regulate things our authorities so so oddly we are our own worst enemies we will say oh don't example i don't want to pay a financial advisor because it's cost me money so i'll use the guy down the pub that's true but the guy to the pub doesn't know what he's talking about or he might he might not and so um without 
some form of basically government-backed regulator regulating me to do things in a certain way, then by moving away from that, you you, you cut the cost, but also there is no protection. Yeah. Um, and is- and it is faith. Mm. And, and yeah. most of the things that are on the internet, cryptocurrency, I cannot advise on because I cannot Guaranteed. produce a document saying that will work in this way and I know it and I sign my name to that and you can sue me if I'm wrong because actually either there is no security or we don't know if there's security. Yeah. Um, but I am, an, I am an old fogey and I, and I, I was a, a very slow adopter of Apple Pay and things like that <laughs> because I like a piece of card in my hand. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that brings me to my last question, really. I really would love to know from you, your, in, in just a snapshot, really, but your confidence. Where did your confidence come around money? How did you learn those things? Because we're also talking about money, um, you know, being financially literate. And, and I think that's a big conversation for us young people. So how did you become financially literate? Um, how did I become financially literate? I, I became financially the old way of, of being a kid and getting pocket money and spending it and knowing if I'd blown it all, I wouldn't buy any sweets. That's it. That's enough. <laughs> um, and, and then I went to university where, um, where I, as a child, people gave me birthday money and I saved it and saved it and saved it. And at the age of 18, I had some money and I thought it was great. And I went to university and I drank that in a few weeks. And that was a lesson in the value of money. I could have enjoyed endless toys with that. And instead I drank it in a few in a few months. So you have to understand, and this is quite, a, quite a, an odd way of looking at it, but all money is is something to exchange for something else. Mm. Um, so you're with any piece of money at any time, whether it's 10 pence, whether it's a million pounds, that is only, your only choice is exchange that for stuff, whether stuff is a car or a, some food, exchange it for stuff or keep it for later to exchange for stuff later. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a simplistic way, but it's often how I explain it to people that having a thousand pounds is meaningless unless you can exchange a thousand pounds for something. Um, in the run-up to the Second World War, the German economy grew out of control in terms of inflation. Money became almost worthless. And you could have a billion marks, but if you couldn't buy a potato with it, it's worthless. And, mm. and that's the point. At any point when you've got money, you need to know, uh, what is the worth of this? And the worth of it is what can I exchange it for? So if I swap it for something now, that's great to get that thing or I can keep it. And if I can swap it for two of those somethings later, then that's its value. And, and that is the most simple. If you if you burn it all now, you won't have any later, but it's only worth that. If you, I have many clients who have plenty of money and, and, and as they get older, they get more and more and more money. It grows and, and at the end of the day, they reach, they might be 90 and they might have millions of pounds. And to some degree, well, what was the point of that then? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Richard, thank you so much for talking to us. I need to make you my financial planning manager for sure. I hope I'm going to be richer after this show. Richard, thank you so much. We'll catch up soon. Thanks a lot. Bye. So many gems this evening. Thank you to Richard and to all of our special guests tonight. Thanks for listening to Kiss Life. Make sure you rate, review and subscribe. Catch you next week.